Good morning. It's great to see you guys. Um, Edgar and Don are out of town. We both, uh, you know, we didn't plan it so well, so we both are out of town at the exact same time. But I got back a little earlier than they did, so I could speak to you guys today. Um, we're going to, I asked Edgar what we want to cover. And so if you're visiting with us, uh, when I've been speaking the last three times, we're covering what we call um, kind of an overview of our One Faith Principles. Okay, and so we're going to do the last section today, and so it's a little more class-like-ish, right, and uh, hopefully it'll help you guys um, get an understanding. So what I want to do is equip you, okay? Did you know, I mean, if you have tools in life and you have the right tools, you can really make an impact. Have you ever kind of pulled back because you just didn't know what to do, right? I'm trying to uh, watch my daughter learn how to drive. It started as I was trying to teach her how to drive. Now I'm just watching her learn how to drive. That's a little bit different because uh, I was trying to teach her, and I would just get too anxious, you know? Uh, have you done, parents, some of you ever taught your kid to drive? It's scary. And um, I'm sitting there on the driver's side, and it, it, you know, it, I can't even describe it. It is so terrifying. And, and I think the thought is, I said, well, gosh, I wish I knew. I thought... You know, it was easy. When my dad was helping me learn how to drive, I thought I made it easy on him. But who knows how he felt, right? And you go, man, is there a way to do it? And finally, I just, I kept trying and trying, and she wasn't getting any better. Have you ever done that? And, and so she wasn't getting any better, so finally we had to dish out the cash. And lo and behold, I'm sitting with her, and she does a better job. She's actually crossing streets and driving on the street. And I realize, gosh, I'm not equipped to do this. Maybe it's simply I don't have the extra brake pedal on the passenger side. That's what they have. Maybe it's that magic. I don't know what it is. But sometimes when I don't feel like I know what I'm doing, if I don't feel like I know what to say, I pull back. And I think what we're trying to do is help you guys understand the studies and how to help people out spiritually and if we can equip you to do that, you'll be more with this thing called confident. How many of you like confidence? You know, you like it, that feeling. Man, I know what to do. I know what to say. I know how to kind of open up the Bible and share something. We just want to fill you with confidence. Does that sound good? So what we're going to do is this. So a lot of us study the Bible with people in the past. We did what we called first principles. Okay, and you go, well, well are we changing all that? Actually, there's just three concepts that are different. And if you can master these three concepts, then you'll be confident. Does that sound clear? So that's the only thing I need you to do is master these three con concepts. We've covered two already. We're going to cover the last one today. Okay, the first con So if you look at the sheet, it says, as a one-faith church, we're restoring the meaning and practice of the one true saving faith of the Bible. The Bible says in Ephesians 4. Actually, let's turn there first. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Because what we really, really want to be is we want to be a, a church that follows the Bible according to how God intended. We want to really have that spirit and heart of the first century church. Does that sound good? And um, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You know, the key word there is one. 
And it says in the Bible, there's how many faiths? One faith. You know, as a church, we've kind of understood there's one Lord. How does someone who lives under one Lord uh, act or, or, or do it? They're called disciples. Disciples are people who make Jesus Lord. Is that clear? And so as a church, we've really hit that hard. There's one baptism. There's one baptism that we teach, and that's part of our study series too. But the one thing that has been very, very lost in our culture today is the one faith of the Bible. Because faith has been reduced to just hope. If you go out on the street today and you go, hey, I have faith, you know what they're really saying is I have hope. You know, they say, well, I believe. That's different from faith. And so what we're trying to help people understand is there's a thing called real faith. And so when we're looking at our study series, there's one study we've added, and that's just to help people understand what the real faith of the Bible is. And just that's line one, if you look at point four. Faith is completed by action, not expressed through action. Many false uh, teachings about faith is simply this. You know, if you accept and really believe in Jesus, you're saved. And if that accepting and belief is sincere, then it'll be expressed in actions. But you were saved when you sincerely believed. Have you heard that before? Did you grow up with that notion? You know, many people have. It's the, one of the most popular views of Christianity today. But we don't believe that because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, actually, faith is alive when we obey the Bible. And faith that's kind of really just hope is a false faith or a dead faith because there's no action that completes it. All right, so that's a very, if you can learn how to talk to people in a very respectful way, not in a harsh way, not in a combative way, But all I do is I just say, hey, what we teach is different from what is mass or popular Christianity. And I just tell people, hey, it's different. You're entitled to your view. I'm entitled to mine. I'm just explaining the differences. Uh, You're not trying to get someone to agree with you. You go, why not? Because people choose to agree with you. You If you have to force it, they just don't want to agree with you. Okay, does that make sense? So... You just need to learn how to explain yourself. And you just say the difference is popular mass Christianity thinks faith is a belief or a hope that saves you. And then if it's sincere enough, the actions will, be, will follow. But we teach actually, no, faith is completed by action. That simply having a hope or a belief is what we call beginning faith. But if it does not mature... With action, it becomes a dead faith. Is that clear? You guys got that? Okay, so you got to know how to explain that very, very well. And if you do that, you've kind of gotten down a lot of what is different about what we do. Um, Number two, real faith appreciates, admires, and aspires to be like Jesus. That's all you got to know. What does that mean? See, modern mass Christianity thinks faith is simply appreciating Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. I accept you. But that's what we call tip Christianity. I'm grateful for the server, okay? But I'll leave the server a tip as an expression of my gratitude. 
but I don't believe in the server enough to drop everything and become like that server. Do you get that? That's not enough faith. That's just tip-level faith. The faith that God looks for is, wow, God, I admire you so much as I see you through Jesus. I'm going to drop everything and aspire and live to be like you. That's really believing in someone. Is that clear? Do you see the difference? And you're saying that you're just trying to paint what real faith looks like. You got to help people understand what that real faith feels like. Okay, is that clear? Now, what's the third thing we're going to talk about today? The third thing is how we look at sin. Dun, dun, dun. There's two things that you got to understand. Simply, sin hurts you and righteousness helps you. That's it. See, a lot of times we've got to say, well, no, sin hurts God. God is hurting because of our sin. God is upset with you. You're going to incur the wrath of whom? God. And, and you know what's interesting is because what we've got to teach people, because we do need to fear sin because sin kills us. And we've got to fear the consequence of sin, not the condemnation of God. Do you understand the difference? The consequences of sin are this. When you do something wrong, there are consequences. If I overspend, there are consequences. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I don't exercise, there are consequences. If I sleep in and I'm late for work, there are consequences. Okay, these are some of the things we understand. And so God just says sin is sin because they hurt, they, they, the sins hurt you. Righteousness is righteousness because righteousness is what? Helps you. It's not that God condemns you. So we've got to get out of our mentality. I believe in the power of God. I believe that God works through our choices. Okay, so if I choose to pray, God's going to move. Okay, do you guys get that? But I don't believe that in voodoo-type Christianity, where if I'm righteous, then God's just going to work everything out. If I'm unrighteous, God's just looking at me, and he's going to smash me, or, you know, he's out, he make bad things, like bad luck Christianity. Oh, you know, I didn't have my quiet time today, so now something bad's going to happen to me. Okay, because you end up thinking you can manipulate God with your own behaviors. Okay, do you guys get that? And it's a condemnation view of God, not a consequence view of God. And as parents, many of us here are parents, when you're working with your kids, you're not trying to get them to think, oh, I've got to do this to make mommy or daddy happy. That's not what you're trying to get them to do. Now, their childish feelings about it is, I don't want mommy or daddy mad at me. Okay, so they'll hide things and do things because that's how they think as children. Okay, but we, as parents, go, no, we just... We want you to do these things or avoid these things for whose own benefit? Theirs. To help them be healthy individuals in this society. Okay, does that make sense? So that's the same way that you want to see how God is. Now, when does God get mad? Okay, you'll see in a bullet point in parentheses, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 6. The Bible says when we hurt others, God does get angry with us. Okay, but that makes sense as a, as a parent. When your one child hurts the other, you get mad at the child, right? So, because God cares for us. All right, does that sound good? So what you're instilling, and when we're going to look at these scriptures, is the right 
sense of fear about our sin. We need to have a deep sense of fear. We need to have a deep sense, wow, sin is dangerous. It's deadly. But it's not, we don't want to have a wrong sense of God. You have the right view of sin, and you have the right view of God too. Can we do that together and learn that? So we need to trust that what makes God happy will make us happy. Not that we're on this earth to do things to earn God's approval. And so a lot of people will twist our teaching as a church that we tell people, oh, you're saved by works, saved by works, saved by works. That's not true. We're not sitting here desperately trying to go, God, did I make it? Are you okay? Are you happy with me? Are you okay with me? You know, we're not that insecure. That's not what we teach. But sometimes we do, our past culture and our church has been that way. Okay, do you, do you get that? But we have to have this understanding that, wow, you know what? God's smart. He says, don't do this because it's going to hurt us. And so it makes him unhappy when we're hurting ourselves. I just talked to this couple, um, uh, the, the wife and the husband. For some reason, they, they're, they're soulmates. They found each other. But both of them, at an early age, had to take care of their siblings. Some of us have grown up in families like that, where, we were, where you were the responsible sibling, right? And so they've had, she had, she's had to take care of her siblings for a long, long time. And, and guess what? Some of those siblings, they just turned out to be like major drug addicts in jail, things like that, right? And, and it's a burden. She feels like, wow, you know, I have to take care of them still. She's only 31, and these kids are 29, and she feels like she has to be the mom. But you know what? You hurt for these people. They're hurting themselves, and you worry. And, and I was just talking them through the worry. Even though they're only two years apart, she worries for them like a mother would. The kids even say that. Well, you know how you're more like our mother than our own mom was. You've seen families like that. I, I mean, you know, there, there are a lot. It's too bad, but it, that's what's like on this planet, right? So, um, but you worry and you agonize when you feel like people are hurting themselves. So God does hurt for us. He's not hurt by us. Do you guys get the difference? Okay, so he feels things deeply because sin is dangerous. When you're studying the Bible with people, they need to get that feeling. I talked to you before about how, you know, there's this emotional self that we have. And guess what? There's this danger alert system, security alert system in our hearts and in our minds. And we need to get people on alert. Okay, but not because God's going to condemn them because they, you know, not voodoo Jesus. We are literally talking about God calls sin, sin, because it's deadly for you. Got that? So that's the picture we're going to paint. We're going to go through these scriptures so you can get a picture of that. In uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Now, here's the thing, and I, so, so this is more like a class. I'm just teaching it, I'm not like preaching it, right? But here's the thing, though, with this. When you're studying the Bible with people, many of us have felt we were victims of dysfunction and how things were treated, t- taught to us, right? So we have had that, you know, voodoo form of Christianity, a fearing that God's going to just personally condemn us or is disapproving of us or unhappy with us, okay? We've grown up with that. So when you're studying the Bible with someone, sometimes we can over-explain things so that they don't, you know, experience what we did, but then they can actually lose the message. All right, so just, just make sure you understand that you're working with a blank slate. So show them just the scriptures, and you don't have to 
over-explain our history. Okay, sound good? You guys get that? Have you ever felt that way? I felt that way, so that's why. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Jesus has a real good insight here, but something we need to understand. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Okay, this is just what you want. Your desires could be deadly. That if you just want to save your life, you could lose your life. It says, but you've got to actually lose your life to gain it. And what's the takeaway? Guess what? Loving yourself is not the same as pleasing yourself. As a matter of fact, sin can actually make you lose yourself. Sin kills. Righteousness helps you be the best you. That's the thing you understand, that if you learn to deny yourself, guess what? You're going to gain yourself. And I think it's very important, you know, just, just share from your life about how that's been true. Something that you've really loved and you've cherished and you said, gosh, I got to give this up. And when you did, you thought, wow, that saved my life. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. It could be an addiction. And you said, man, I just felt like the bottle was my best friend. And I had to give up that bottle. And guess what? It saved my life. You can't, if you just want to save your life, you're going to lose it. Our desires could be deadly. The selfishness that just creeps into our hearts can kill us. But you know what? You've you got to cut some things out to truly live. So part of loving self is just learning to deny yourself. Turn to John 8, 34. And I want you get, people just need to understand, sin can really be deadly. Sin hurts us. Righteousness helps us. John 8, 34. You can look at verse 31 if you want to review. But let's look at verse 31 just to get some context. But you've already actually, st we've studied this prior. But John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You know, there's a reality here. Once you do it, this is how real faith works. Once you do it, it becomes true. You really get it. Your heart's truly moved. Phony faith tells you, let me just explain it to you, move your heart, and you'll really know it. That's phony faith. You don't learn anything that way. you got to hold on to it, practice it for it to be true in your heart. Is that clear? And he goes, verse 32, 33, the answer, where are Abraham's descendants that have never been slaves of anyone? How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Whether we know it or not, sin enslaves us. And we need to hold on to the teachings to really see what's true. Sin enslaves us. And we may not know it. We may not know that we are just bound and gagged and taken away by sin. And sin makes you a slave. And there's a condemnation and enslavement that comes simply from sin. Let's go to Isaiah 48. Now, the scriptures I'm showing you, I put, put, mashed two studies together. 
And the reason why I did that is for the sake of time. So you'll see in the notes it's different in the booklet. And I've added one scripture here just so you know. But the whole idea when you're studying the Bible with people is not necessarily i got to hit every scripture. The, the thing is you want to hit the spirit of what we're talking about. Do you guys get that? And, and, and the spirit is this. Sin hurts whom? Us. Righteousness helps whom? Us. Okay, that's the big thing. that They got to understand sin is deadly. It enslaves you. Isaiah 48. Verse 17, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. You know, that's what God says. Hey, guess what? My commands are for your benefit. They're there to help you. You're not doing anything by following my commands. You're just helping yourself. A lot of us, you know, we thought, well, I'm doing God's commands, so God is happy with me. Or I'm doing God's commands. You know, the Bible commands all the time, don't boast in your good deeds because they don't save you. You know why they don't save you? Because they help you. It's not that you're not supposed to do good deeds, okay? It's just that those are for your benefit. You know, it'd be weird if my kid wanted allowance for brushing his teeth. Do you get that? I told the story before. I got straight A's. Jimmy Snyder, Jimmy Snyder's parents gave his kids $5 for every A they got. I brought home my straight A's and said, Jimmy Snyder gets $5 for every A. I mean, this was back in the 70s. All right? That's, that's a lot of money because I think it's hard for me to get $5 for every A's, every A in, you know, 2018, right? But... Um, my mom said, really now? I go, yeah. She goes, well, who'd you get those A's for? I go, you, she, you know what she told me? She goes, you should pay me for those A's. <laughs> That's good mothering if you think about it, right? You know, but it, it, it's interesting because why? Getting those A's benefited who? Me. And that God's just trying to help you understand that. Let's go on to Isaiah 59. So sin helps you. I mean, sin hurts you. Sin of righteousness helps you. Isaiah 59. How does sin hurt me? Verse 1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, that so that he will not hear. So guess what? Sin cuts us off from God. Not because God's so mean and unloving, is because you are going in the opposite direction of God. God can only hold you as much as you're willing to be held. That's it. If you're one of those squirming babies, God goes, you know, he, he just, he lets you go. What else? The Bible says God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. When we choose sin, he, he literally by his nature can't have us with him. And so we understand, how does sin hurt us? It just disconnects us, not only from God, but from other people. Satan wants to fool us and think, wow, you've bonded because you and your buddies went out drinking. You can't even remember what you did. You just know that you wasted some time together. You know, all the sin that people go, well, we bonded over that. You're actually feeling very alone. Because you did not learn how to have the real connections that come from being sober, from being authentic, from being loyal, and committed to one another. Let's go to Isaiah 64, just so you want to see this. 
It's not in the studies that we have, but it's always, if you're going to do a little time in Isaiah, might as well, it took a while to get there, might as well do some, do, do some shopping, right? Yeah. Isaiah 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags, and we all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. He goes, no one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of your hold of you or for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins here's a picture once again of righteousness and sin god says you know what your righteous deeds like filthy rags what is god just so angry with us that he just goes oh you do all these good deeds i don't care no what he's trying to tell us is this i am righteousness and if i give you a million dollars and you go here god's the dollar back you go that's a filthy rag i am righteousness Uh, Righteousness is an opportunity for you, not for me. And guess what your sins do? They sweep you away. Sin will take you away, and your righteousness is for you, not for me. Is that a good picture? You want people to just understand it, because we've got to take sin seriously, but we don't want to get the wrong fear of God. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, very simple passage, but it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. You know, I, I know a lot of times we'll do this little mound. It doesn't matter if you do a little sin, middle sin, high sin. You know, everyone sins. So in God's eyes, it all looks the same and stuff. And you can do that. And that's one visual that you can get from this passage. But the, other, the one thing I want you to understand is this. Sin harms everyone. All have sin, and sin hurts everyone. A lot of people, they think, well, it's not that bad what I do because I don't think I'm hurting anyone. Well, you're hurting you. And then when you're hurting you, you don't know who else you hurt. A lot of times when people are in addiction, they, they think they're just pleasing themselves, but their hearts have gotten hardened. And so the quality of life that they give to the people around them drops significantly. People are so out of touch. And you're there to help wake people up and say, do you understand that your sin hurts you? And it hurts others too. You may not be aware of it. All have fallen short. But you know what? We got to get drawn close to God. It says, and fall short of the glory of God. Did you know that God intends for your life to be glorious? You see, sometimes we just look at that passage and draw three mounds and say, hey, you know what? God looks at all mounds the same. But you know what's right there? We fall short of the glory of God. You were intended to be glorious. You know, have you ever watched uh, Greatest Showman? That song, This Is Me? We are glorious, right? I mean, you, know, you hear that song, it's like, yes, you know, I'm supposed to be glorious. You know, everyone's all stomping and dancing. You, Yeah, but you know, God looks at us and says, you should be glorious, But sin just distracts you from that, robs you of that place in the sun. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I actually focus on who I can be, it helps me get, you know, cut off the ties of sin. But if I'm just sitting there thinking, that's bad, don't touch that, don't look there, don't look, oh, you know, uh, you know, you kind of get so overwhelmed, you go, you know, I'm going to sit in the sin, right? Um, But God just says, hey, all have sinned. 
Sin hurts everyone. And we fall short of the glory of God because God intends for you glory. And sin is literally, the literal definition of sin is missing the mark. And we think that mark is righteousness and just being like the straight arrow and doing everything right. No, the mark is glorious. The mark is glory. God wants you to be this amazing person. And sin derails that. Not only does sin separate you from God so you can miss out on heaven, there is glory on this earth that God wants you to experience. And we need to be passionate about it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. So sometimes we need to be afraid. Is that clear? In our fellowship, we said, okay, well, no, we don't want to be afraid all the time, and da-da-da-da-da, we don't want to be stressed out. No, sometimes we need to be afraid. And, And you go, well, who should we be afraid of? Not who should you be afraid of, what? You should be afraid of Satan. He really wants to distract you from God's glory. Satan is kind of the kid in the back row at your high school who's going to smoke weed during after class because he's given up that he could get good grades and he's selling weed on the side because he thinks well I don't know if I'm ever going to get a good job and so he's that guy in the back row that's going who else can I get to buy my weed and smoke out with me to make me feel better that's Satan you get that picture and so a lot of times he just wants us addicted and into his distractions because it'll make him feel better because he feels like a loser. That's what it literally says in Revelation chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 3. In verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, the Bible actually just says sin hardens your heart by deceiving you. And think about it. you got to appeal to people and appeal to your own self. How were you when you were younger? What were your convictions like, you know, 10 years ago, 2 years ago, whatever it is, 20 years ago, when you came out of the waters of baptism, what was your focus? What was your passion? Did you go, man, I sin, I am done with sin. I'm not going to cave into that. I'm not going to look at that, touch that, do whatever. Did you say, I am done. I am leaving. And, and remember when you first came out of the waters of baptism, you go, man, every time you, you, you had a bad thought, you confessed. You called, oh, man, this is where I'm struggling. This is what going, I'm going, what's going on with me. You felt that soft-heartedness. And then over time, you let that hard, heart harden and harden and harden, and you become deceived. And God's just saying, hey, you need to kind of Make sure you reawaken your understanding of what sin can do to you. What you're doing to your mind, what you're doing to your body, what you're doing to your heart. How numb you are, afraid you are, anxious you are, resentful, or even worse, cold. The Bible says in Matthew 24, due to the wickedness, due to the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. And that can happen. When you just go, well, I'm good. 
Or it doesn't matter if that person's in my life or out of my life. Because I've just gotten cold. Have you ever felt that? And thought you were actually getting stronger? Isn't that intense? But in actuality, you've gotten colder. And God takes it more seriously. Because sin can deceive you and harden your heart and make you cold. So that's why, you know what, the, the, the huge call, that's why when we said, hey, we're a one faith church, we have this mission. And you know, we didn't just make it up, it didn't come out of nowhere. We got, we're going to live one faith by loving like Jesus. Because our aim is to love like Jesus, guess what? You have to keep your heart soft. Do you get that? Yeah. We don't just say obey Jesus, because people can get caught up in their righteousness and not really deal with their heart. We've got to love like Jesus. We've got to have one faith that does it because false faith will tell you it's just positive thinking. I go, nope, you need to have this lifestyle of loving like Jesus. And so by looking at the glory, you can become sensitive to the sin. Don't get complacent. In this fellowship, we've got to go, we should be loving each other like Jesus. Don't get complacent in your home. In your marriage, we should be loving each other like Jesus. Don't get complacent. You go, in our singles ministry, whether I'm a campus student, teen student, we got to be loving each other like Jesus. It's got to be the call. It's got to be the passion. And it says, guess what? you got to see to it every day that we're encouraging each other at that level. Because what happens? Sin hardens you and deceives you. Sin enslaves you. It disconnects you. And those are deadly consequences. And most of all, it just robs you of the glory that God intends for you. So when we're studying the Bible, I hope this gives you a good picture of how we work with people. Sin is serious. All right, so we don't want to take that away. And people need to feel the right kind of fear. But that fear is not of God trying to condemn you. It's not of Man trying to scare you. It's got to be of, man, the consequences are scary. And God calls sin, sin, because he goes, I want you to be the best and have the best. Because drawing close to me will make you glorious.